0: Hi everyone, uh Pranay uh I'm a partner and associate director at Boston Consulting Group. Do pretty much all my work in enterprise software, um, and I focus quite a bit on infrastructure software topics. Uh, i also globally lead our product innovation and engineering topic so uh it, it's this this has been a blast we've spent about 6 weeks uh in partnership with starburst and red hat uh in actually thinking about the future of data architecture as a topic it's it's a pretty it was a pretty aspirational uh piece of work and we did our study uh in and we sort of did three things the first thing we did was we actually had 40 uh conversations with the uh, chief information officers, CTOs, chief data officers, uh, just ask them about you know, what's top of mind, what their pain points are, uh, uh, and get a sense of where they're moving with their data architectures. The second thing we did was we actually did a pretty big survey. So we surveyed 300 buyers of data uh, focused on North America and, and Western Europe. And then we supplemented that with a pretty large longitudinal study Uh, where we took a look at, where we took a look at, um, you know, uh, uh, both install data, we took a look at uh, market data, as well as did a bunch of economic teardown to get a sense of uh, uh, data economics. And look, we've published our findings and happy for you to actually go read those findings. Uh, And it's hard to do justice to six weeks of study in about 10 minutes of time, but... uh, we wanted to basically uh, leave you with five key messages. So the first finding is that the data volume and complexity continues to grow. Again, shouldn't be a surprise to anybody on this call uh, that uh, data volume is continuing to go up. Uh, but what's interesting is the finding in number two, which is that the architectural complexity for these customers have gone up as well. So um, you know we have some data to show you how uh, a lot of these customers have actually seen massive architectural sprawl. And how that's impacting how they're actually managing uh, data. Uh, obviously, put all of that together, it's creating a lot of pain points for customers. Uh, uh, again, we we have some survey data that we want to share with you on the pain points that customers are experiencing uh, because of this architectural and cost complexity. And then, you know, if you think about how the costs are growing, uh, you know, uh, they're they're sort of growing out of control. So, you know, by our estimates. They're growing at about 13% every year. And you know we're really at a tipping point where something has to change in the way enterprise customers are, are, are approaching their enterprise architecture um, uh, uh, if, if they want to get complexity under control. And then lastly, uh, you know, what we found out was that you know, data meshes or distributed data architectures or federated data architectures, there are many names for this. Um, I think it does solve some problems. Uh, that these customers are facing, but we are in very very early days, and uh, there's a lot of wood to chop still. So with that, let's actually let's actually dig into these trends one by one. So uh, if we move to the next slide, you know what's interesting is what's interesting is again shouldn't be a surprise to anybody on this call, but if you take a look at 2021, we generated about 84 bytes of data. And that is is projected to grow to about 150 zettabytes of data in 2024. Now, there are three very interesting points here. The first is that if you take a look at all that data that is generated, only about six to 7% of that data is actually even stored. And then when you double click into the data that is stored, what's interesting is that Roughly about you know eighty to ninety percent of that is unstructured, ten to twenty percent is structured. And the growth modality is mostly on the cloud and it's mostly on the edge. So if anything you know on premise is sort of flat to going down, most of the growth is actually projected to be on the cloud and edge. And then the last very interesting point is that more than half of the half of this data, more than fifty percent of this data, is actually dark data. So, you know, enterprises actually don't use this data at all to create any type of business value. Now, all this to say that the architecture of the future has to support the scale, the growth, and the complexity of modality of this data. So, that's our finding number one. So, if you go to the next page, the next thing we said is okay, like, how are enterprises actually approaching managing this data? Now, what you see in front of you is a a graph. The x-axis is basically the the years, uh, you know, going from 2000 to to, uh, to 2020. And the y-axis is the number of unique data vendors that are observed in those those enterprises. And what's interesting to see is, uh, is, is, you know, about 10 years ago, the total number of unique data vendors observed in enterprise customers was roughly about 50 that number has tripled to 150 in uh, in, in 2021. And, and again, what's interesting to see is if you take a look at where that proliferation is coming from, not all categories are created equal. There are some categories like AI, machine learning, and analytics processing that have actually seen massive proliferation. And then there are certain other categories like relational databases where basically a lot of customers have coalesced around the same sort of set of, of of commercial vendors. Now, what's also interesting is that how are customers actually utilizing these vendors? What we see, at least in, in, in some of the more sophisticated customers, is a lot of them have actually created multiple parallel stacks. Uh, uh, and they're trying to sort of manage their AI and analytics through, through this complete vendor sprawl, through a spider web of brittle, uh, you know, uh, uh, data pipelines. And there are two underlying drivers of why that is. So, you know, uh, one one reason why we've seen so much vendor proliferation is in the last ten years, there's been a massive increase in private capital that has gone into data. So, you know, uh, according to data by uh, uh, according to data by PitchBook, uh, investments in data and data related startups has actually grown thirty percent every year in the last decade. And then the other the other sort of thing here is. The buying motions inside of enterprise customers have changed as well. What used to be a very centralized sort of CIO-driven buying motion, now you know you have a lot of line of business owners as well as new roles such as chief data officers that are actually involved in, in data buying, and all of that has basically led to this this complete uh, vendor sprawl. So if you go to the next slide, then okay, you know, so you have a ton of data that's growing, you have a ton of complexity how are customers feeling about it? And, and, you know, through our conversations, uh, there were two very clear signals that we heard. The first is that more than half of these customers actually still rate talent as the number one problem that they have. You know, you would have thought that, you would have thought that some of this would go away, but no, it's still still the number one uh, sort of problems that, that a lot of these enterprise customers face. And then the second is there's a huge slew of problems Uh, driven by this data architecture complexity, everything from managing data sprawl to data quality and and so on and so forth and managing sort of legacy architectures, et cetera. And, you know, in the backdrop of all of this, if we go to the next page, the costs are continuing to spiral out of control. So again, I I mentioned this before, uh, you know, if you take a look at the total cost of data that is projected to grow 13% every year. So if you do the math, you know, it's it's going to double in the next, like, five to six years. <clears throat> and what's interesting is we try to take a look at data costs and try to cut it in many, many different ways. The first thing is we try to see, okay, what part of the data lifecycle is actually causing the growth of costs? And not surprisingly, the storage of data, the querying of data, and then the analytics and consumption are, like, the biggest, biggest drivers there. We also try to take a look at a cost by type and location, right you know just just to understand you know where the TCO, what the core TCO drivers are. And what we found out was that cloud, which is about 12 percent of the total cost now is actually pre- is, is going to grow to about 25 percent in three years time. And then the other big sort of vector of growth is the people cost. So people costs are still about more than 50 percent of the cost of data and that will continue to go up in particular uh, outside services, as companies look to system integrators, consulting firms to basically bridge some of the talent gaps. And if you take a step back, the story here is not about rising costs. The story really is the fact that these costs are majorly outstripping the total IT spend Mm -hmm. and something has to give. So we think we're actually at a tipping point where customers have to dramatically rethink how they're actually approaching their data architecture to get, get a hold of this complexity and get a hold of this cost. So if you go to the next page, you know obviously we then ask customers, okay, how are you thinking about managing uh, this data? And, and how is your architecture evolving and, and so on and so forth? and And the findings were very interesting. Still, You know, a minority of laggards, you know, roughly about 10 to 30 percent of of customers actually have have taken a fragmented or a bespoke approach. So they have uh, all these systems of record and then they have the consumption layers that are directly talking to these systems of record. Simple architecture, but clearly uh, huge problems in scale, huge problems in data quality. The majority of of the customers, you know, roughly about 60 to 70%, 60 to 80% of all customers have adopted some sort of a centralized approach where you basically have these multifarious data sources and multifarious sort of um, systems of, of record, if you will. And, you know, they're basically centralized into a data warehouse or a data lake or a data lake house. And then the consumption layer is actually built on top of that on top of that centralized uh, uh, centralized data store. Now, it solves some problems of scalability. Um, you know, certainly certain certain problems of data quality, but it actually requires data movement, and more importantly, it actually reduces enterprise agility because now you have to wait for the data to be staged and get ready before uh, before it's actually ready for consumption. So, it's suitable for certain use cases, but not for all. Now, there's a very, very small percentage of customers that have actually adopted, you know, this, we call it federated service-oriented uh, approach to data. You know, it's it's known by many names. Some people call it data products, data meshes. There, there's a ton of sort of marketing confusion around this. Uh, the idea here, though, is very simple. You know, instead of actually moving data, you basically create data products where data is actually exchanged with other data services, just like APIs. And you know the pattern. This pattern we've actually seen multiple times before. Uh, you know, as, as a pure technologist, uh, it actually gives me a lot of joy because um, you know uh, we saw this first when procedural programs basically moved to object-oriented programs. We then saw it with the movement of you know monoliths to microservices. So the idea is actually decoupling or abstraction of some sort, and this architectural paradigm does solve a few problems Uh, so i think the first problem it solves is the problem of uh, is the problem of data movement you know you can now talk to one data service and that one data service is the single source of truth so you don't have to worry about actually moving data and then creating master data copies you know it actually solves that particular problem the second problem it solves is the problem of data security uh, because now these data services basically control access to data. It actually gives enterprises the ability to apply zero trust principles to security, much like much like application access. And then the third problem it solves is it actually creates a little bit more flexibility because now you have all these services that are abstracted away from one another. Uh, you know you can actually use fit for purpose stacks. You know you can you can you you can build one data product. You can use, you can build one data product on a data warehouse. You can build another data product on, uh, you know, on on like a, a high-performance in-memory columnar database, if if that if that's what what you need. So it does create a lot of architectural flexibility. Now, even though even though uh, we've started to go down this path, it's not a panacea. It's not a silver bullet. We don't think it's actually solving every problem. There will be many instances where centralized architectures will be very practical. Uh, you know, Think about like dashboarding type use cases where centralized architectures will be, will be practical and, and frankly, better suited. So, and then the other challenge here is there is a ton of uh, tooling development that still needs to happen. You know, a lot of these standards, uh, a lot of these, these tools are still in very, very early days so we expect new market categories to come up we expect new open source projects to to get developed we expect new industry standards you know things like rest jndi things that we've taken for granted in in sort of application development we'll expect a similar arc of development um, in 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 these in in this in this federated future of data architecture but needless to say it's it's a really exciting time um, and, you know, it's very exciting to see the direction that companies like Red Hat and Starburst uh, sort of take, uh, take this federated uh, architecture. So with that, you know, uh, I have two really smart people to actually share more insights on, uh, on this, uh, uh, Stephen Hughes and Adrian Estella. Uh, guys, I'd love for you to introduce yourself. And then, uh, you know, I, I have a few questions. I'd love to actually hear your thoughts on, on,
1: on where this is going. Thanks, everyone, I'm Stephen Ewells, and I'm responsible for Red Hat's AIML business within our cloud services business unit. I have been working with big data, data warehouses, and analysis for over 20 years. I'm really excited to be here with you, Pranay and, and Adrian.
2: Thank you, uh, and It's a pleasure to be here with you and Stephen on today's show. My name is Adrian Astala. I'm a for- former Fortune 20 CDO and the field CDO here at Starburst. It's great to be here.
0: Terrific. So, you know, guys, um, look, I mean, this was a lot of fun, but Edwin, maybe let me start with you. I, I'd love to actually hear your view, just given your experience uh, and and all the work that you've done on what you've actually seen um, uh, is happening at customers and, and where you see the puts and takes are. Thanks for the question.
2: And before I get into it, let me compliment you on your use of data and your storytelling. I uh, love to see us practicing what we preach. You have brought great data together uh, and the way you've pulled it together to kind of drive a very compelling story is very impressive. I wanted to ask you about one of the numbers, uh, and I'm sure you'll correct me if I misunderstood it. We showed uh, a 5% on one of the previous slides on the far right. We were talking about federated services or data mesh or a decentralized approach. And I think it, uh, it said less than 5%. Uh, I'm seeing a lot more traction uh, in the in the industry. I'm seeing a lot of people that are either moving there very quickly or um, already there uh, or people that are in the journey. And so uh, 5% to me seemed a bit low. I- I'm seeing a much bigger number just in terms of velocity. And maybe it's from a perspective of people that are headed in that direction. I think there's a lot more. Uh, there are certainly a lot more companies that are committed to that approach. But to answer your question and certainly we think about the the challenges and the opportunities, I want to kind of see if I can kind of pull back my, or reflect my answer, link it back to your five lessons because I really and I wrote them down. Uh, I really like the way you laid those out. I think when we think about the challenges, I think the first thing to think about, um, and I think your first point had to do with data volumes. Um, I loved it. Uh, gosh, it's if you're if you put your business uh, head on and if you look at it from a business lens, and the first thing I hear is, "Hey, good news is we're storing more data. Forty percent, I think, is what you said. Four zero, year on year, uh, we're growing. With a business lens, that, that probably sounds okay. It sounds right. Forty percent, we're storing more every. Okay, so it seems like a lot. That's probably right. I feel good on the on the business side. Then I come back, and I think we said five zero, right? Fifty percent. Only fifty percent of that data is actually being analyzed." oh, wait a minute, storing more data, but only 50%, percent live zero is actually being used. It doesn't feel right. Hold on a second, it gets worse. 90% of the new data that I'm going to store, or let me say it differently, 90% of the new data that I'm creating, I'm not even storing. So of the 90% of the new data that's being created, that isn't even being stored. That's concerning, right? Great, we're storing more data, Sad that I'm only analyzing half of what I'm storing. Worse that there's a lot, 90% that I'm not even storing. And so from the business perspective, I rely on this data. I'm data-driven. I rely on this data for competitive advantage. I rely on this data so that I can reduce my risk position. I rely on this data so that I can create efficiencies across my supply chain. I rely on this data so that I can drive new revenue, new business models, and I'm not using nearly enough of it. That's the business challenge. And of course, it goes back to your first point about the architectural complexity. On the architecture side, we want to be able to respond with speed to the business app challenge. To so the business challenge to say, store more data, analyze my more data, help me put it to work. But it's difficult, Uh, and it's difficult for a couple of reasons. I think um, your number two point had to do with this, again, this broader architectural complexity and market confusion. I think when we think about what we need to do on the IT side, because we have data stored in so many places, maybe your first response might have been, "Well, let's migrate some of that data into one central spot. That was the approach for a while. But we know that that centralization approach it costs money. We know that it takes time. Uh, It's disruptive to the business. If I'm gonna move the data from where you access it today and move it to another spot, there's gonna be some disruption. Um, And the cost of business disruption as we appreciate uh, on the business side, maybe not so much on the IT side, it's a lot more painful. It's a lot greater than that cost on the IT side. So it's a lot of pain that we're having to deal with. Technology is changing faster. Right. And so your, I think your point three is uh, it's changing faster than our business teams can adopt. And so when I start thinking about the opportunities that we have in front of us to address those challenges, I think one opportunity that's directly in front of us is the idea of enabling that user, right? And so if technology is changing, well, what can we do on the back to abstract that complexity, right? I've got architectural complexity, and my technology is changing, the business teams, my end users, my data analysts, they don't need to see the complexity. If I can find a way to abstract that, that's the opportunity, I can enable those teams to adopt greater capabilities. I wanna empower them to do more. So there's an incredible opportunity there, I think, for us to empower the end user by abstracting that architectural complexity. I think your number four had to do with the idea of economic shift, right? Economics are shifting, and costs are headed to a tipping point. So I think the other opportunity we have is to, and I'm not gonna say stop migration because there are great reasons to migrate. If we're migrating to the cloud, we're, we're probably doing that for reliability, we're doing that for security, we're doing that for performance. There's great reasons to do that. But I think what we need to do, um, in, in this new lens of, of economic uncertainty or with the shift that we are currently dealing with that tipping point that you described where we're starting to spend so much on the operation side that maybe we don't have enough for the investment side, if we hit the reset button for a second, and I, th- I think we have an opportunity to rethink what we're migrating. Why not accept, why not adopt that federated service model you described? Why not think, think about leveraging data where it sits? Instead of migrating everything, Maybe there's some things I can leave behind. And I can continue to use them for an extended period where they are today. Maybe if I can enable teams to access data where it sits, I can prioritize my bigger investments on that core data that has to move. Because there are some data sets that you'll need to move, but the power to make the right decision is really what we need. We need that optionality. And so I think adopting or embracing that concept of a decentralized approach allows you to make smarter decisions for what you need to migrate because there's some things you might need to but you don't have to migrate everything if i think about your number five and you talk talking about data products that's the biggest opportunity and that's where the That's where the buzz is right now, right? The idea of using and delivering data products. And whether you work in the data governance space or the info security space, or whether you're a data scientist or a business analyst or a data engineer that is currently overloaded with building new data models, there's a lot that a data product and data mesh have to offer. Uh, Well, I'll close with just thinking about that data product concept is when you start thinking about how to deliver data products across the enterprise, don't try not to solve it for everybody in your first design. Try to focus initially on a team, on a business unit, on a domain. Hopefully a group that's already functioning like a domain, kind of cheat a little bit if you will, and find a team that already wants to work that way. Build them their data products. Because when you build data products, they should be designed for the consumer. Not necessarily, it's not a one size fits all model. You federate governance for a data product, you design a data product to work the teams that are going to use them. So start small and move fast.
0: You know, it's interesting. You you pointed out the less than 5%. I think that is people who have implemented the architecture. What's interesting is, and, and um, you know, we've shared this number as a part of our, our report, 60% of data leaders, 60%, six zero, actually intend to go towards some sort of a federated or a service-oriented model. So I mean clearly there is traction and I I couldn't agree I couldn't agree with you more I I think a lot of a lot of the challenges that you mentioned actually resonated I do have one question for you uh, Adrian I mean especially as you sort of interact with your peers and and with customers when is the timing I mean uh, look I, I think there is the intent there is the goal but you know um uh, Things in data have moved fast, and things in data have moved slow. I, I'd love to actually get a sense of uh, how much of an imperative is this, and how quickly are companies moving in this direction?
2: Well, they're moving fast, but I think the timing—I think it's business timing, right? It's yeah. market timing. I think you're you're driven by a sense of urgency that, that your business defines. I'm not going to change or transition or move it because it thinks so. I'm doing it because there's some type of business purpose, and so I think when you start to adopt or embrace these broader concepts, I think you start small, you start in the areas that make the most sense. You don't have to go overnight and change the whole company. I think you start to change in small areas, you change fast where you create immediate value. And that momentum allows you to accelerate growth or accelerate
0: transition in other departments. That's that's so true. Uh, Stephen, I mean, you, you sort of see the other side of this, right? I mean, you have helped shape. Uh, You've helped shape and and um, and plan and and actually uh, execute this from from like a technology vendor landscape. I'd love to actually hear your thoughts. Just broad strokes, where is where is the the big tech and and the the open source community sort of taking federated and service oriented architectures?
1: That's a great question, Pernay. We're at an interesting inflection point um, and growth point from an open source perspective. When you look at the availability and capabilities that the new hardware and software based accelerators are opening up for enterprises really gives them an opportunity to take advantage of all of this data. They've been collecting this data for years and all that information now is at a premium and I think customers are now looking at that and how cheap things have become from a cloud computing perspective and storage perspective and how they can better exploit it and take advantage of it. And they're coming up with new and creative ideas for how to apply uh, the algorithms to that data and how to explore that data. So I'm not surprised that 5% have been successful um, while 60% are trying to figure this out. One of the biggest things we're seeing with customers is a challenge that they're having with successfully being able to take advantage of all this data. And that's, I think, what's driving a lot of that explosion in the chart you showed where there's a lot of growth in open source happening in AI and in data and in being able to bring all this information together, because that's where a lot of the challenge lies. And I like the phrase you used that there's, there's a lot of brittle pipelines being strung together in application. Um, there's a lack of standard drive standardization and that's driving things to break down. And that's what a lot of these open source projects that are emerging are trying to address. How are they going to address all of that federated data aggregation? How are they going to address the dissemination of all of that data to different applications running on different footprints? And how are they gonna orchestrate that in a way that makes it repeatable, reliable, um, and secure over time? When we start making data more available, we have to address the security of it as well. And so this is something that Red Hat, we're constantly looking at. When you look at our platforms, Um, We expect that data is going to be coming from a variety of sources. Like we've been seeing that for years and there's still a very valuable place for centralized data like you noted, but over time customers are collecting data from more of these edge-based endpoints and it's being stored in in different formats and different locations. So when you start to assume that data is coming from multiple locations, you start to view it through the lens of auditability, security provenance and all the things you need to be able to do to trust, have trust in that data. And so what we see a lot of activity happening is in that data governance space. And there are a lot of interesting projects there that we're keeping an eye on. Things like what Trino and Starburst are doing, Uh, things like Pachyderm in the data governance and audit space. And once then you've got all that data coming in and you start moving further downstream, you start to get into how organizations are taking advantage of the data in this case. In a lot of those situations, that's where AI and machine learning comes into play. You need AI and machine learning to be able to process the volumes of data and information and provide some actionable little decision or result back to the business. And as businesses start to rely more on these types of algorithms to produce these decisions, they want to understand what's going on. They want to be able to trust in the decision being made. And so that they can roll out more and more of these things. So the focus on AI explainability, AI transparency, bias detection, monitoring, those are all areas that we're seeing a lot of rapid innovation um, and are very interested in in the open source communities. And this takes the form of projects like KSERV, the AI Fairness 360 project and Trusty AI. Um, And then at the end of the day, all this stuff has to be repeatable. And that's where I think a lot of the 60% that you're talking about are struggling. They've done a great job getting access to the data. They've done a great job analyzing the data and they have models and, and algorithms they wanna be put, put into production. Um, but where they struggle is really the operationalization of those models. And that's an area called MLOps, um, which is really applying a lot of the age old DevOps principles um, to AI and machine learning. So how do I take a model, build a pipeline, tie them in cohesively with my DevOps pipeline so that as things need to be rebuilt and re-triggered over time, I can put them into production, monitor them, and lifecycle them all with transparency. And these things all change over time, right? I wanna know why those changes are made. I wanna know the impact that a change had on my business, um, especially if I'm in a highly regulated industry. Um, And I'm still having to adhere to all these other regulations. And so again, when we look at it from Red Hat perspective, there are a lot of things that happen in there that, that we expect. And while there's not necessarily exponential growth in the data center side, um, and a lot of it is happening in cloud and in the edge, we're focusing on making sure we can provide a consistent platform across all of these footprints. Um, because you noted in, in all of these shortages, right, talent is still at a premium. And being able to have consistency in the platform, whether you're developing or deploying to it, is really critical in being able to get value out of the data. And don't get me wrong, I love tinkering with data. And at the end of the day, it's all about getting value out of, out of these decisions.
0: One hundred percent, and you know it's 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 very it's very interesting. Look, I, Steve, Stephen, I know we we've had a conversation on this. I, I think open source will be at the center of of innovation. I mean, we've already seen open source actually continue to grow at about thirteen percent, become a fundamentally important part of the data stack of the future. So both Starburst and Red Hat will will actually have a very very important role to play in how, um, how this this future stack shapes up. Um, let me actually ask a question to both of you. Uh, what is the vision? What is the vision and what's in the pipeline? And um, you know how are you actually helping your customers uh, you know move towards this future?
1: Yeah, that is a great one. Um, I'll start now and then I'll hand to Adrian here. Um, I touched on some of this a little bit with my previous answer. So for Red Hat, a lot of uh, is making sure our platforms, REL, OpenShift, and our edge-based platform provide all all the core capabilities that customers are going to need when they're trying to bring together data, analyze that data, deploy models, and ultimately uh, receive some value out of that data. So that means making sure we have the ability to support all the different accelerators that are coming out, um, as well as the emerging libraries and frameworks for analyzing data. And then being able to provide consistency across the management and deployment of models and applications across the different footprints, right? Whether that be in your data center, any one of the hyperscalers or the the edge deployments. And then on top of that, we want to provide a lot of the core plumbing that allows all of this stuff to become operational. And I talked previously about MLOps and DevOps, right? A lot of these capabilities come out of our Red Hat uh, Application Services platform. And so this is how we're building and stringing things together the actual plumbing for streaming data into an application, managing APIs, around deployed models or applications, um, and ultimately making that a repeatable process. In the case of our OpenShift Data Science project, um, how we're providing the MLOps platform to give customers the ability to deploy models, monitor models, um, and see all the explainability about those models in one place. And then we've always relied heavily on our ecosystem partners like Starburst. Um, Starburst was actually one of the first partners we engaged when we were launching OpenShift Data Science uh, almost five years ago. Uh, Because there was a need to have an alignment between the way Starburst goes out and is able to access data across the data federation, um, multiple platforms, and what customers, like the reality of where they were storing their data. And so being able to pull that data from from multiple sources, multiple platforms into some analysis, and then Red Hat being able to deploy those applications and models and be able to lifecycle them was really a great uh, fit. And so it's been a great partnership over time, right? We have seen this resonate across customer industries like FSI, retail, and healthcare, and we're only seeing that grow. So now, right now, we're seeing a bunch of data science out in the market with Starburst as one of the integrated partners, allowing us to provide that end-to-end story for that 60% that are struggling to have a consistent platform that allows you to aggregate data and build and deploy models across the cloud and edge. So it's a really exciting time for me personally, being responsible for for OpenShift data science and working with Starburst with these customers.
0: Terrific! Um, well, Adrian Stephen, thank you so much. I mean, this this was uh, it, it was a true uh, it was a true pleasure, you know, partnering partnering with uh, with both of you in in sort of shape helping shape some of these insights, um, you know, and and really excited for the future. Um, and uh, the innovation that'll come out from from both Red Hat and Starburst.
1: Thanks for having me, Pranay. It was great working with everyone here. This is a fantastic study. Awesome,
0: thank
2: you.